The recording process developed approximately contemporaneously with jazz. The first cylinder recordings were made by Thomas Edison and independently by French scientist Charles Gross in 1877. But recording of music in commercial quantity did not become widely available until the 1890s. Even so, it wasn't until the emergence of Victor and Columbia as major record labels in 1902, the record's music could reach the general populace. The process has been important to the growth and refinement of music, and especially jazz. An improv, uh, improv music form must be recorded in order to be preserved. It must be heard over and over if it is to be influenced to the performer and make sense to the audience. The phonographic record has been much more than a record for jazz. It has also been the reason that much of it has been played. Recording studios have given musicians a vineyard that could not often have find in concert halls or in popular, uh, popular arenas. Geographically and philosophically, desperate musicians have been brought together on the same dish. Whole careers have been built on vinyl. Now, of course, there are other careers that have slipped through the grooves. Pioneer New Orleans cornetist Buddy Bolton apparently never recorded. And band leader Gene Goldchrist, whose band included a major, such major uh, jazz figures as Big Spider-Bet, Frank Trumbor, Joe Venturi, and Eddie Long, have really, the record companies really permitted them to record jazz. And throughout history of jazz, scores of first-rate regional musicians, mostly from regions other than New York and Los Angeles, Los Angeles have been either under or under-recorded. Records then give us a somewhat incomplete picture of jazz, but the picture that they do give us is vivid and exciting, the only lasting retrievable picture that we have. <laughs> 